Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. Hey everyone, James Azar here with CyberHub Engage. Welcome to our virtual summit. I've got a very, very special session. For those who are listeners of the CyberHub Engage podcast, I've got a usual fun face that's always on the show with me, my good friend Mark Hopped. Mark is the CISO at Databank. Mark, how's it going, buddy? Hey, James, it's going great. It's kind of strange seeing you and talking to you via video instead of face-to-face this time. I know. Typically, we find the reason to fly somewhere to do these. I know. Um, <laughs> now not today, we're, right? Not today. <laughs> not in the era of COVID-19. And, no way. You know, um, for, for this session, I kind of wanted to pick your brain. We did. It's really interesting. I, I, literally two months ago um, this week, we did our roundtable in Dallas. Right. And we were in Co- Dallas together. And COVID was kind of starting to pick up, but it wasn't as serious. Like, we still had people in the room. We were still out in restaurants, eating barbecue, you name it. We were having a great time. We were living our normal life at that point. We were. Here we are two months later. We did our State of the Union address because it was the week of the State of the Union, if you remember. We That's did, right. We, we did tear up our speeches after. For those who haven't seen that session, you guys can go back and watch it on our CyberHub Engage YouTube page and whatnot. It was an absolute um, uh, joy of a, um, uh, a podcast with our good friend Patrick Benoit from CBRE. Um, a great state of the union and here we are two months later and i think it's time for a new state of the union i mean (laughs) it's completely changed i mean two months ago we were living in a different world in a whole whole different space and we were all kind of looking over to china going why can't you get your act together and now we're having to look inward about the same thing right yeah i i don't think there's anyone that could have possibly potentially prepared for a pandemic like this unless you're a hollywood producer with a script and you wrote this like 12 years ago on a shroom doozer and right and right you know it's it's one of those things where you you talk about you know some of this stuff's out of out of spy novels if you look at it from the perspective that it you know it could have been a bioweapon or or like you're saying from a hollywood producer perspective if, if you're looking at it you know just just from a a general you know spreading across the world type of situation but it is a it is definitely a different world that we're living in today so 
here's here's the thing though this has really kind of you know we were in in in, in our uh 2020 state of the union one of the things we were talking about was the switch to cyber as a service a lot of those those different things but now the cyber paradigm has completely shifted um l- let's kind of talk a little bit about that what are the biggest shifts in in cyber because of this COVID 19 that are really going to carry us forward that's going to essentially be the new economy well, it, it's obviously rather early to say what they are. Um, you know, I, I think definitely the, the work from home uh, paradigm is going to be different. And as you and I kind of chatted earlier, uh, you know, this whole work from home thing, I, I think we're going to see a lot of changes that are non-cyber that are, going, that are going to roll over into cyber. For example, I think you're going to see some exodus from larger cities into more bedroom communities and rural suburban type of environments, people kind of going back home uh, to reduce the risk on their families, especially young families. And that's going to result in more work from home opportunities and more work from home jobs. Um and that's going to that in turn is going to then put some more pressure on some of the uh, internet capacity that's been so far focused on larger cities and larger area populations to now shifting to the the smaller populations i mean if i were to turn the camera around and show you outside i I live in the middle of a cornfield and the only internet service that I have available right now is a uh, broadband wi- wireless uh, type of communication. I don't have the in-ground fiber and, and, and that kind of thing that's available to me. And yet I'm still able to do this type of podcast and, and still able to zoom and, and things like that. So what we're going to, what we're going to see is the effect on the infrastructure of cyber, which then of course has a play on, you know, whether we allow BYOD uh, for people that are working from home and what that looks like from a cybersecurity perspective. How do I, as a CISO, enforce my security policies on somebody's bring your own device? How do I enforce them to use my antivirus, my malware? How do we enforce a uh, you know, a, a strict um, tunneling VPN type of solution rather than a split tunneling type of solution on a firewall, uh, which of course will you know we, we could keep rolling this through. But if you if you if you don't allow for split tunneling on somebody's work from home solution, uh, then you increase the bandwidth and the traffic that's going through your firewalls, and you probably have to have more than uh, more than one VPN uh, or multiple VPN concentrators for a uh, a corporation, um, you you know, all, all these things just kind of roll out. You know, we, we can keep going down the list of, of what this means from a cyber perspective. But, you know, this whole work from home thing is going to be a big deal for us to uh, to have to work through here, both as an IT professional and also as a security professional here in the, in the coming weeks, um, coming months, even uh, even longer. You, you bring up a great point, which is the BYOD policy. I think a lot of people were caught off guard. And like we said, 60 days ago, you and I were in Dallas. Right. Hanging out, doing our State of the Union, did our CISO roundtable. We were just having a great time. We did a live podcast um, where we were sitting right next to each other, Mark. Right next to each other. And, and, And here we are 60 days later. We're 60 days. We're not talking three months, six months. Folks, we were... Together two months ago, I, I think it's setting in for me right now that two months ago, um, I was traveling and Micah had a mask on his face, um, and and I wouldn't wear mine. 
and we laughed at him. We did. We did. No, laugh no at offense him. to Micah, but we laughed at we him. We did, and it was it was kind of fun. But now we aren't, right? Yeah. Now, now, now we're like, oh, good for him. Good for him for for actually being responsible and wearing a mask. And 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 you know, I've traveled. You know, three times since I went to RSA, I was in Israel, and 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 I came back, and so yeah. it's 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 quite un fathomable to see how everything's kind of stopped and no one prepared for this and so a lot of companies had a byod policy but it, it had to do more with you know your byod on the corporate network right now that your byod is at home in your private home on your private home network doing business stuff how does that change your byod policy well that's a good that, that's a really good question is um you know, I, I think from my perspective as a so, it's going to change the policy of of having to reach my security into uh, a, a person's home, which is always challenging to enforce, and it's it's challenging to verify. You know, we we've talked about in our in our other podcast about trust but verify rather than zero trust, and and my whole. Um, negative connotation and, and thought process with zero trust. And, you know, for those of you that want to hear, you know, go back to the state of the union. I, I went on a tangent <laughs> with it and, and uh, resulted in, in some fun conversation, but you know, we're, we're going to have to have a new, a, a new trust, but verify thought process here. We're going to have to, we're going to have to be able to reach into uh, via remote desktop or some other function into people's computers uh, to verify that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, that there's uh, you know firewalls in place, there's security tools. I think there's going to be some some enhanced security tools. I don't know if there's going to be some new security tools, but I think there's going to be some enhanced security tools over the next uh, next couple of years, um, where things that we normally would put on a server, we may start putting on workstations. Uh, for example, um, there's a there's a number of products out there like example we usually don't put integrity monitoring uh tools or even i may demand that those things are placed onto a personal computer so that if i need to do a forensics investigation or even if i need to do an hr investigation to find out if the person is wasting their time and not being productive and efficient working from home i can do that without necessarily getting on that computer because the logs would be offloaded to one of my servers then then with that you know again this whole thing's a rolling thing but you get into the privacy aspect if it so if it's a personal device and I have all of their logs, how do I know which parts were done on the personal time versus parts that were done on the work time? How do I define what was done at lunch versus what was done at you know one o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon uh, when they should be working? What is their lunch period for that matter? Whenever I do my forensics, just it just opens up a whole new can of worms. Uh, for what would our BYOD policies look like? You know, in in the past, it's been, hey, uh, you bring your bring your own device. You can only attach to certain cloud products. You can't get on the VPN, or if you get on the VPN, you have to use a VDI solution. Um, and that that may be more stringent in the future. But there's a lot of things that we have to deal with uh, coming in the next few months if this if this sticks around, which I believe it will. Yeah, I think we're. we're uh, 
for those who've, who've attended some of our, uh, our other virtual summit and, and have heard me speak about this, I, I don't think this is going away anytime soon. I think social distancing is going to be the norm for the next 12 to 18 months. Right. I, I, you know, I mean, your contingency plans change. Your business continuity plans are changing. Your incident response plans are changing. Everything is kind of updating to deal with this new situation that we live in. But how do you feel like this situation really impacts um, um, cybersecurity as a whole from a CISO perspective? How how has that changed your your modus operandi now as a CISO as compared to maybe before? Well, uh, to be determined, um, I, I think... Uh, it puts more focus on cont- continuity of operations planning, business continuity planning. Um, we're getting a lot more questions from our customers. Uh, so, you know, I, you, you well know that DataBank is a service provider. So we're getting a lot more questions from our customers about how we're operating that space. There's a lot more um, b- because I am kind of coordinating our continuity of operations. There's a lot of collaboration between other departments within the the uh the organization, for example, I have a very close relationship with our data center operations team because they're the ones that are implementing some of the recommendations and, and the procedures that I have in place, such as wiping down the biometric readers and uh, you know and the doors and and doing health checks and the types of questions that are asked of health checks to potentially stay away from HIPAA violations. You know, we're we're not necessarily recording their answers. So there there's a lot of um there, there's a lot of factors from a security perspective that that are yet to be determined. Um, one of the things that you know I, I just mentioned was biometric readers. Um, I, I'm just wondering if all of a sudden biometrics is going to is really going to shift to a no touch biometric type solution you know a lot of our biometric readers now are are fingerprint related and you know everybody touching that thing and and in a lot of cases actually pressing down on that uh leaving their mark behind is is going to be a change so i you know i I know i even before this occurred I, i was aware of a lot of biometrics or two-factor type of authentication that can come into play with your uh, your your cell phone, your your smartphone. So I think that you know I think biometrics is going to either fall into a no-touch or out of uh, out of popularity uh, piece um, as as a change that's going to occur. Um, there's just you know how many things that uh, that we're still evaluating and things that are are going to happen that uh, that you know, down the road. Um, what I fear though, the most is that as we're focused on BCP content continuity of operations and maintaining the business in this new environment of, uh, work from home and so on and so forth, that we're going to lose focus on uh, continuous monitoring. So we're going to lose focus on the traditional security side of things. And as a result, the, the hackers and the people that are nefarious trying to take advantage of that are going to do so and be successful in that. You know, some companies are already talking about, well, hey, I don't want to patch right now because if I patch and a server goes down, who's there to go and reboot that server for me or who's there to go and power clear that server? Well, that's an advantage of a data center in that we have remote hands function that can do that, but in an enterprise type of environment or in a smaller SMB uh, type of environment where they're doing all their work from remote, those are challenging uh, situations. So, 
we can't lose focus on continuous monitoring and good security hygiene because that is what keeps us from being attacked. Um, but yet the focus of what we do in security for right now, for this time, is shifting to that of operations. You know, long term, I think the BCP continuity of operations testing is going to be less of a checkbox and more of a a, a not even a table talk, but but an actual, hey, you know, everybody's working from home today um, and we're going to test the test the strength of our VPN and, and stress test that. And we're going to we're going to, you know, we're going to close our doors for two days and see, uh, you know, from a, an outsider's perspective, we're still going to operate. But we're going to see how uh, what what it feels like to not be in the office and not um, not operate uh, on a on a you know, in the office type function. Uh, I think you're going to see that kind of thing happening on, on, on an annual basis, if not more frequently. So again, to be determined, but there's a lot of things that are going through my mind uh, as to what we need to do, what we need to be careful of, and what's going to happen going forward. Yeah, I think that, that, that you bring up a really interesting point, which I feel has a lot to do with how we're, how CISOs are going to be operating going forward, which is don't forget your basic blocking and tackling because you still have a network, you still have a corporate network, you still have right. data. Your endpoints have changed. That is very true. Mm-hmm. And and you need to address that. But when when you start to kind of look at this over the global scale of just the sheer, not just the financial and, and, and economic impact of COVID-19, but how it's really affecting cyber in almost every single country in the world. Um, yep. And how, how do you start preparing and, and how do you really address that in your, in your business continuity plan, which is how do, how, how, how do you start kind of rounding out the different threats and, and how do you evaluate threats differently now? Well, um, I, I think, uh, first of all, you know, you have to really look at uh, the process that we've done of looking at, at globalization, um, you know, obvious an obvious target, if you will, to, to look at from a security perspective is the acquisitions and, and supply chain function and how that impacts uh, what, what we do. Um, you know, we used to look at it as CISOs from the perspective of what happens if a foreign state would uh, be able to place a chip or code onto an existing chip that would compromise our environment. But now we need to take that a step further and say, are we even able to get those uh, those pieces of equipment now typically that would be more of an it side of things but what i'm what i'm concerned about from a ciso perspective is i'm concerned that the it folks will just run because supply chain is so low right now and and could be again and could be continuing for the next year that they're just going to run and get the material from wherever they can they're going to get inferior material that can't be patched that cannot be um, updated that is um, is difficult to deal with. That then rolls down into you know my team, my my security team saying, I, how, "How are we going? How are we going to patch this if the vendor is not putting out patches because they're not a, a not a quality vendor?" Um, so you know we're we're going to have to look at at all aspects of that. <clears throat> we're we're definitely going to have to look at the. Uh, you know how 
how these uh, these kinds of uh, pandemic viruses that start out regionally, how, how we convince our our leadership that w- without without crying wolf too many times uh, that this could be another situation that takes us down and that we need to prepare for it. We need to have a continuity plan in place. So, you know, I'm, I'm giving you some some vague answers there because I think uh, that there's a lot still to be determined. There are some aspects there of, you know, how, how does this change us from a security perspective that, that won't change? And, you know, we, we in security have been dealing with global actors uh, for, you know, from, from the dawn of uh, time, if you will, when it comes to security-related things. So, you know, we're still going to see the ransomware type of attacks coming in from outside of the U.S. We're still going to see, um, you know, attackers, DDoS attacks and, and things like that occurring. What will be interesting, you know, I don't see this happening in the United States where we put up, a, you know, a like China, a great firewall type thing. But it will be interesting to see what other countries do um, and, and whether they even see a focus uh, on cybersecurity anymore. If, 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 the, if the threat has shifted and then now all of a sudden we as CISOs have to fight for, uh, once again, fight very strongly for our right to be seen and heard uh, in in a non-co-op uh, BCP type of situation, and, and the the threat of true cyber attacks uh, still you know still looms out there in, in front of us. So it, it's going to be it, it's going to be a challenge. We're going to have to see how it works out over the next couple of months, and and where things go. I have said this is prime time for CISOs. I think when yeah. this is all over, the board meetings that are going to be coming in June, July, August, September are going to be critical for CISOs um, because that's where you're able to really talk about the stuff that's been done, the stuff that still needs to get done, and how you prepare for the second wave of this thing because the second wave's coming in October, right. November, folks, and it's going to stick around until March, April of next year. And so we're, we're, we're nowhere near done with this. We're, this is uh, wave one in the trench in the fight, and yep. we hope to have by next fall's flu season to have a vaccine in place. Um, and there's a lot of different information out there, but the timeline um, is, 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 is fairly identical in the fact that it takes about 12 to 15 months to get the FDA to approve a vaccine from the moment it's, it's, it's established. And so they don't have a vaccine right. yet. So we're, we're, we're looking at vaccine for the fall of 21, not fall of 20. So that means we're going to have to deal with this for the, you know the next year year and a half before we have something that we can um, we can protect ourselves with you're right yeah I, I, I one thing that I did notice um, that a lot of the smaller countries you know people use a lot of different countries as an example and to go well look at Iceland or look at Sweden or look at Norway or look at all these guys and I'm like they're eight nine ten million people they're not 320 million people they don't live in densely populated places like New York New York is the hardest hit area because it's densely densely populated other areas that aren't densely populated that have just as many people as new york weren't as critically hit as new york folks new york is an exception not the rule no i i would agree but you know one of the things that i also believe that as much as i hate to say it you know some of the stay-at-home orders uh have I, i think you're seeing some effect on it um 
you know, uh, New York is the hardest hit area. It's the most dense population. Um, but, you know, in Dallas, in uh, Minneapolis, in Chicago, places like that, they have dense populations as well. And you're not seeing them hit as hard yet. Um, and that may be, uh, will, time will tell, but it may be uh, because we're asking people to stay at home. We'll, we'll have to see. One of the things I've found interesting with this whole thing uh, to go off on a little bit of a tangent is is how listening to governors and medical professionals use words that we as CISOs uh, have have used uh, for so long it's just, you know you know things like well and we're asking you to stay at home and if nothing happens then we've been successful you know CISO has been saying that for years if, if you if you're not being attacked um, you know if there's not been a successful attack then the tools and such that we put in place the things that we spent the money on uh, are being successful and you you had mentioned that first uh, the board that we're going to have to deal with here in, in May and June uh, those those conversations you know the the, the CISOs are going to have to explain uh, you know how, how they've taken their companies through this process you know everything from the things we've already talked about the work from home pieces uh, to enacting the the continuity of operations plans you know how early uh, did they start warning their leadership and and what actions did they take and if you're a CISO and you haven't already figured out what you're going to say to the board or at least uh, to your leadership that's going to convey to the board uh, I would uh, I would start talking about that in your head right now with yourself and and deciding what your slide decks going to look like um, how how successful your your uh, functions in this COVID thing are? How how many times did you enact things in your corporation that prevented people from getting sick, that prevented bad things from happening in your organization? You know, in inside databank, um, you know, we enacted very early. You know, you're talking about two months ago. We were in Dallas. Uh, we we had a COVID-19 plan um, there when you were in Dallas. We, we uh, put ours together in January. We had a plan and we pulled it off the shelf and we used it um, on March, uh, beginning on March 5th of, of this year is when we uh, threw it through the switch and activated it. And we immediately started, um, you know, deciding that travel, travel to different places was uh you know off limits we got the leadership team together you know things like that so when i go before the board and i talk to the board or i send my slide deck up to the board i'm going to tell my team you know we've had a very very low infection rate because we went to work from home quickly we were capable of doing that and everybody was it was doing it without any problems um and that uh you know the people that we've had in infections are, are results of uh, where they live. Uh, you know, a couple people up in the New York, New Jersey area, um, and those folks that are work from home constantly, uh, they they've been impacted by it. But our data centers itself has not been impacted, and I can, as of right now, and I can walk in and and say that confidently. So today, you know, that, that may that may change a couple weeks from now, but you know, right now, that's the message that I'd be sending to the board is that we were prepared we enacted the plan and we we uh we we worked the plan to completion you think there's a you think there's a shift in leadership between the public private partnership and cyber you think because of the amount of corporation that's needed right now with government 
with yeah. different aspects of government? Do you feel like there's been a level of trust maybe established uh, of people who are a bit, you know, kind of looking at CISA with a raised eyebrow are now looking at CISA going, okay, they're a good resource. We can trust in them. We can maybe open a little bit more the door mm-hmm. for more information sharing, more more ways to work with them. Yeah. Do, are you seeing that? Definitely have seen that. Um, so I'll give you two two examples. Number one is um, so I, I never looked at CISA with a raised eyebrow. I've always looked at CISA as a great opportunity to have a friendship and, a, and an opportunity to get some information out of them and for me to share information in. Um, but folks within some some of the folks within DataBank have always um, you know said, hey, if we're if we're sharing with people like DHS and and CISA and whatnot, then we we run the risk of of them coming in and and seeing or taking over things that we don't want them to see. And I've, you know that that's a myth um, that that we've worked to to deal with, but but the information that has been coming out of CISA and when they declared certain uh, certain functions and published it very early, national critical functions. Um, you know, my leadership was very pleased with that and, and was able to see that partnership working effectively, um, and and the fact that. You know, I've had conversations back and forth with CISA a number of times. I've been very pleased with their responsiveness. And I, and here, here's the example I'll give with CISA. I will send a message, an email message into to uh, CISA, my CISA contact, and I'll get a I'll, I'll get a response within a couple of hours, day or night, couple of hours. Whereas I've sent messages into the SBA, Small Business Administration, to clarify, for example, whether or not. Uh, a data center is considered to be a utility uh, for some of our customers that are um, are submitting SBA loan requests, and that's been days, and I still haven't gotten a response on on that um, that question. I've sent uh, messages into other agencies um, that we have continual relationships with as a as a FedRAMP um, a provider, um, in particular the FedRAMP uh, PMO, and it's taken. A, a longer time than usual to get a response back but CISA man they are right there within a couple of hours I'm getting the data and not only am I getting a, a pat answer back but I'm getting a, a an email that's this long that describes their position and what they're looking for from the 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 representative and then two or three attachments with that that allow me to say to my leadership this isn't just somebody's opinion, but this is a document that's been provided. So CISA is really shining, in my opinion. Uh, DHS as a whole is really shining through this process, I believe. Yeah, I feel like um, uh, a lot of times during these periods of times, people look at, uh, I think, government with a raised eyebrow. I feel like in cyber... Mm -hmm. A lot of us, we had CISA at our Atlanta roundtable. We had a Clint Walker right. from CISA at our at our roundtable. I felt like he was able to really um, establish that level of trust and continuity with everyone in the room, and and just letting him know they're a partner and not a regulator, not someone who's who's out to get you. They're not right. trying to find you. They're 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 really just out out to help you. And, you know, I think that's the value of, of creating CISA as a sub-agency of DHS is because a lot of people looked at DHS as kind of a a, a pseudo-FBI, CIA conglomeration that, that's, um, you know, after 9-11 that was out there to collect intelligence and, and, and go out and get the bad guys. And, and I think that's where part of, 
part of some of the concerns uh, within my organization uh, are is that, you know, what, what exactly are they after? What are they looking for? But whereas CISA, you know, they, they've kind of they've kind of taken that brand and they've, they've said, Hey, we're here to help. They've even got um, liaisons out there. They followed a, an FAA structure where they've got people that do nothing but talk to businesses and talk to government, uh, you know, state, local government entities. Their, their whole job is basically to be a, a CISA sales engineer out there, finding out what, what the, the, what organizations like mine need going back to CISA, getting that information and formally publishing it and putting it out there for us. The FAA does that a lot with their uh, general aviation crew. I, I've got uh, a guy I know that's a, that, that does that for the FAA and uh, they, they, that model in CISA is working quite well as well. Yeah, it, it seems like that's the model that's really going to be uh, kind of going forward. I think if you're, a, if you're a CISA and you're watching or listening, I will say that, um, if, if you haven't gotten a CISA contact, you can obviously reach out to us or myself or Mark. We can help you or yeah. just reach out to your to 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 CISA yourself and introduce yourself and, and, and do that. And and um, and you'll be yeah. just quite OK. And, you know, you know, something else, if I can keep if I can keep going on CISA, I know it, before COVID started, I know that CISA had only 40 or 50 um, liaisons uh, that uh, throughout the entire country and um, they got funding to add some hundred I think uh, liaisons or thereabouts Um, so you know they they, they're taking the role seriously and frankly if you're looking for a job they've got the postings out on usajobs.gov I think is what it is right now in in various parts of the country Um, if you if you're looking for that liaison type of role as your as your next step in the career they're looking for people to help out yeah so so let me ask you this mark kind of as we wrap up our yeah our our session here do you feel like there's going to be a new set of skills that are going to be required from cybersecurity professionals based on covid19 that some skills are going to have gone obsolete or if so, what what new skill are you gonna are you specifically looking for that maybe before you weren't really looking at, and now you're like so, it matters. Yeah, so you know it's funny you said that because I'm putting together a presentation for another organization um, training session, if you will, right now about cybersecurity career tracks. You know, after nine eleven, there was in large enterprises there was a. Um, a reemphasis on business continuity planning and a person that was specifically responsible for that. I think after a few years that died away again. A lot of through the 2008 uh, economic crash, a lot of people realized that 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 function was uh, more of a what if something happens um, and they're just waiting for something to happen. And uh, so I think that that's an art, if you will, that's going to come back. And uh, it depends on the organization. But most CISOs uh, should be looking to um, encourage that function to be within their, uh, their purview, in, in my opinion. Now, some larger organizations may require a completely you know, separate team for that, uh, you know, the, the multi-thousand people uh, companies. But it really should fall under the CISO because uh, that, that CISO has, has a view, if you will, responsibility for all the different planning and, and 
operations uh, that that may go on um, as a result of that. So I think that's an art that's going to be coming back. Um, that's a skill set that I'm going to be looking for in my compliance and security engineering team uh, going forward. I'm on the compliance side. I'm looking for people that really understand and know and have been through a BCP type solution where they're not just writing a writing a document that we don't think is ever going to get used and is just a checkbox. I'm looking for people that know how to write the documents, maintain the documents, and actually test and work the documents on the compliance side. And, and on the security engineering side, I'm looking for people who uh, can lead an incident response team as an incident response commander within the business continuity side of things. And I, and I specifically say that because a lot of it security engineers and leads and architects are used to running incident response from a cyber perspective. Now they're going to have to add that skill set of dealing with so many extra departments um, in a business continuity situation. In an IR setting, they may be dealing with network and engineering and support and more IT people, whereas in a BCP type thing, you're going to deal with HR. You're going to deal with people that are being hurt and you need to have empathy as well as sympathy for people um, that are going through challenging times and sometimes engineers are not that type of person. So we're going to be looking for some different skill sets along those lines. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the kind of... I want to say the silver lining of all of this is it's really bringing out new skills, new people to the front lines. I think cyber is one of those where if you're looking for a job now, there's no shortage. You can always reach nope. out and kind of find people uh, to help you through this um, tough time, even if it's um, something just to kind of get some direction um, specifically w- w- with that. Um, Mark, thank you so much for, for joining me on today's session, man. I really do appreciate you taking time and coming on board and and i I love the fact that i can just call you and just be like hey mark (laughs) let's let's do something and you're like let's do it let's go for a jam session right yeah let's do instruments just microphones (laughs) yeah a jam session with our voices and our brains and so for those kind of um um um, thank you to mark hopped he's the cso at databank we have more sessions coming up for this virtual summit so don't go anywhere Um, We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back after this, folks.